calling all consumer goods, business owners, and marketing professionals. Does planning content ahead of time stress you out? Do you want to run Instagram and Facebook ads, but just aren't sure where to start? If your answer is yes and yes, then our mini course was made for you. It's 100% free and packed with essential tactics that you can implement as soon as today. To join in, visit our website at umaimarketing.com slash mini course. All right, let's get on with the pod. Welcome to the Umai Social Circle, where we talk consumer goods tips to help business owners and marketers grow. We're Karen and Allison, co-founders of Umai Marketing, and we're being joined by Marissa Epstein, a registered dietitian and Truman Scholar, recognized for her commitment to health education, lecturer at the University of Texas McCombs Graduate School of Business, where she teaches nutrition entrepreneurship, and a general partner at Springdale Ventures, Austin's very own 70% women-owned VC firm on a mission to grow transformative consumer brands. Awesome. Thanks for being here, Marissa. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Well, let's get a little bit of a background. So can you tell us a little bit of what inspired you to study nutrition and become a registered pediatric dietitian? You know, nutrition was not on my radar growing up. Um, I am from small town, Texas, and uh, food was such a part of our family and community as a cultural component. My mom actually immigrated from Mexico. And so the dominant food culture in our home was, was traditional Mexican. And um, it was really beautiful. But over time, I found that we were becoming statistics. My um, senior year of high school, I ended up, um, I was looking at photos of myself at, a, at my high school graduation party. And my mom had, you know, assembled all these pictures from, you know, Marissa from kindergarten every year through high school as moms do. And uh, I was kind of horrified when I looked at a picture of me when I was graduating compared to, to going into high school. I had just gained so much weight. And I was also pre-diabetic. I was, um, I had sleep apnea, I had acid reflux, you know, all these symptomatic issues that, that um, are born from, from not maintaining a healthy body weight. And I see how it, it just kind of uh, shocked me and also um, gave me visibility into how this beautiful thing food that brought us all together as a family had also evolved over time, you know, away from the simple ingredients um, that that is Mexican cooking into what's more American as my mom, um, you know, assimilated and, and became more Americanized over time. Um, and of course, you know, the standard American diet is uh, pretty unhealthy. So I went to college and was, and my, my first, my primary goal was to um, really get myself back on track and, and take care of myself. And I just had this fundamental thought that if this was the time to get healthy, you know, you're, you're at, you, I was at, I went to Texas, I, at UT Austin. Um, I was on this amazing campus. I was in a dorm room, you know, we had food was kind of taken care of, taken care of for students, you know, with dining halls and stuff. I just like, wow, this is probably the easiest it's ever going to get for me to control the choices in my food environment. Um, and, uh, and so I did. And so I, I started, I spent my entire freshman year um, getting fit and exploring food choices and learning about what I was eating, what was in the food I was eating. I kept a food journal for nine months um, and just started connecting food to you know, what food I was eating and how it made me feel. I didn't have a scale. I didn't, I didn't check my weight. There was none of that. I literally just, slept, 
stopped drinking coffee, um, you know, and, and ate according to how food made my body feel. And over time, as I started pattern matching, I started seeing that the foods that made me feel the best were all plants. They were vegetables, they were fruits, they were, you know, those lean proteins and fish. Um, and I didn't really cut anything out ever. I just started to pay attention to the meals that made me feel great and the meals that didn't make me feel great. And over time spent more time eating foods that made me feel great. And, you know, those are the really hydrating um, food groups that we know and love today as, as plants. So nuts and seeds and beans and every type of vegetable and every type of fruit and, um, and just nicer, cleaner meat and seafood selections. So as I was like, this diet transformation was happening. I was also starting to exercise again. And by the time that year was over, I'd lost like 25, 30 pounds and um, not in an unhealthy way. I, in fact, I, like I said, I didn't even have a scale. Um, I, I found out in my annual physical and, and I didn't have a mirror, a full length mirror in my dorm room. So, so I, I tell this story and I just, I want to emphasize, like it was very, I was very much separated from like the aesthetic obsession of losing weight. It, it, it was really a special experience. Um, and I look and, and from that, it just opened the Pandora's box for me. Like, wow, how, how hard it is to eat healthy. And this was back in 2005, you know, a long time ago, um, how hard it is to eat healthy, how countercultural it is, how much sleuthing you have to do and planning you have to do. The environment is not encouraging you to like pick um, fruits and vegetables as your meals and as your snacks on a daily basis, right? We're, we're flooded with processed foods wherever we turn. And I thought, gosh, there's, of course, my family is in the situation we're in, you know, we're, we're subject to the environment. How can I change this? And so it just really lit a fire under me um, to learn more about nutrition and to learn about what was in the food that we're eating. So I, I took my first nutrition class at UT um, it became a passion and an obsession and something, the science of it was so exciting to me at the mechanistic level, um, you know, how these nutrients behave in the body and how our physiology interacts with the science of food. And the more and more I got into it, the more I loved it. So I decided to pick up, um, a second degree in nutrition while I was at UT and, um, worked my butt off <laughs> to, to graduate on time. And, um, and then went into my dietetics training in pediatrics and maternal health and um, just fell in love with this moment that you have with children to introduce them to how things grow, introduce them to how to cook and prepare foods. Um, it's just a really special moment when women are pregnant and when families are being started and when kids are getting, getting off to their first bites, you know, to excite them about plant foods basically um, and and try to to influence that palate early to obviously prepare them for a lifelong um, positive and and sustainable relationship with food um, so yeah that's how I got started I love that story and I I love that you're focusing on getting the kids like set up for success like I don't I grew up with like meat and potatoes you know and that's you know, vegetables, usually I, you know, were green beans that came from a can. That's, you know, just how we grew up and totally fine. But I, I kind of just like wanted to share this antidote. I just got back from Guatemala for my 30th birthday and 
off this lake, everyone is basically vegan or vegetarian. And I've never eaten so many delicious fruit and veggies in my whole life. And it just, I had like that same moment, like, holy crap, like I feel so good. And you know, it's, it's really not that difficult. You just have to go to the store more often (laughs) I've learned, but, um, just, just realizing how they make you feel, how veggies make you feel. Um, I I'm kind of, you know, just on my journey now, but I, I think that's a super cool story that you shared. Yeah, I grew up this thing. I mean, vegetables came out of a can for me growing up too. And, you know, we didn't have a lot growing up. Um, I wouldn't have known that there was another way to experience vegetables, but my mom would tell us stories about her childhood in Mexico. And I was just enchanted. Like my mom in my mind, she lived like this 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 like she lived like in like the like the garden of eden or something you know she's like walking they just have like fruit trees growing everywhere and they all had gardens and she just spoke about that with so much nostalgia and and grew plants um in our you know she we had we had lots of fruit trees growing up in our house and there was I don't know her, the, the values that came around how she talked about that were just so clear to me, you know, like we grew a lemon tree because lemons were expensive and she didn't want to buy them from the grocery store. And we grew pomegranates because pomegranates were like this, this very coveted fruit Mm -hmm. in our family. Like they only happen in season. They're very expensive. We would only get one when we got to the grocery store. Like there would be no seed left you know, unturned in a pomegranate once we opened it. We planted a pomegranate tree 10 years. Like it took at one point, whenever we like 10 years after planting it, we finally had like robust mm-hmm. pomegranate fruit, like really good, like grocery store quality fruit. And I just remember, you know, this appreciation for where, how hard it is to grow food, how resource intense it is how, you know, when you connect how much is required to create food, you don't want to eat a lot of it. You can't eat a lot of it. You know how precious it is. Mm -hmm. And um, that always struck me as so different than American culture where we have as much food as we want. It's beautiful. You know, there's no, no zucchini is unlike any other zucchini. It's like all identical, you know, and and once you unpack all of that and start to understand the supply chain and and why that's the case, turns out that something like 40% of our food all goes to waste. Um, But it's so counter to this land of plenty. Mm -hmm. um, It's so counter to that values-based resource constrained attitude towards food that that makes you that made me at least appreciate it so deeply and instead you know consumers and we know now are deeply confused by how many choices there are you go to the grocery store and north of like four out of five consumers report today that they are so confused that they actually walk away from the decision they they, out of out of instead of fatigue exactly right and so um, we have this, I think it is false. The economics of it aren't, aren't exactly, um, capitalist with all the different, um, subsidies and, and, um, kind of 
tax economics that go into how we grow our food, but it, it, it's a false pricing in that like you have so many foods that are so cheap and those prices don't really capture all of um, the work that has to go into them. And they certainly don't capture the resources that we're, we're losing um, and are wasting as a result. And so I've always, I mean, on a daily basis, and I think what I've been obsessed with is like, how can I help people um, make these healthier choices that are unnatural mm -hmm. in our food environment? It would be easy if we were living in my mom's hometown in Mexico, right? Yeah. Just the way things were. Yeah, here it's it's not it's not the norm. You you really have to go out of your way or pay more um, to to build that healthy diet, you know. And can you imagine, Allison, if we lived the way you were living and and just it was just at your fingertips and yeah. easy and everybody did it and you don't have to think yeah. about it, talk about it, or obsess about it. Like it's just it was just it's just normal. Like it was just grown and. And like you said, I, we are growing an avocado tree, a peach tree and a lemon tree. The avocado tree is not doing so well, but the others they maybe are, in a couple of years, we'll get them. Yeah. But trees have personalities. They, they just, um, yeah, yeah, I think he might've given up on us actually, but we'll, <laughs> we haven't given up on him, but I, I like that. Like I've started to try to envision and I'm sorry, I, we're off on a tangent here, but starting to envision when you eat your fruits and vegetables, like where they came from, I think is really helpful. Like thinking about all the background to how you got this banana in your hand is like kind of just, I don't know, gets you nostalgic about food, but yeah. um, <laughs> I, I, I could talk about that forever. <laughs> Sorry. Veggies anyway, for life. Okay. Yeah. Um, the idea of like teaching kids this and like helping connect them with their food mm -hmm. is always yeah really fun and yeah I, yeah that's cool very cool I think that something that really struck me with that was you mentioning you know people going to the store and not really understanding a lot of things and um, I had that experience when I worked at an egg company where we were coining the term pasture raised um, and it was pasture raised it was free range it was cage free it was you know, conventional. And there were so many, there were so many ter terms, so, so much terminology at the grocery store on the shelf. So with all of these product and packaging nutrition claims in particular, like non-GMO project verified, certified organic, gluten-free, fat-free, sugar-free, all of these claims, um, while some are really vital to the health of the consumer, like gluten-free, if you're, if you have celiacs, this is very helpful. How do you feel about the buzzworthy claims like natural and organic that just flood the shelves? And I, I feel like personally, they can, can confuse the consumer. They do confuse the consumer. Let's take organic as a great example. Before we had to create the organic certification program, we didn't know that there were pesticides used in conventional farming, right? The consumer didn't. And so what the labels do first and foremost is draw a distinction between what you didn't know you didn't know about your food. And so this I think has inspired an extraordinary amount of fear 
uh, across the consumer population about what is really in the food I'm eating and how is it really grown and what am I really putting in my body? And the more that more has been revealed at front of via the front of package labels, the more fearful we all are. I mean, you just want, look at the GMO debate over the last 20 years. And, you know, at a fundamental level, there's this concept that our food is being grown in a way that's harmful to me. One, why don't I know about it? And two, why is this happening? You know, kind of there's a baseline trust in the system and then a label shows up and you realize, whoa, I can't just assume everything's that is conventional um, is, is okay for me. And I'm not saying that it is or it isn't. I, what I'm saying is that that's kind of the characteristic, the emotional underpinning of these the, the labeling conversations. So then you start to pinpoint, okay, well, all these different aspects about food, they need to be understood and then they need to be communicated to the consumer. And there are infinite number of characteristics to choose from, right? Whether it's growing methods like the USDA certification, organic certification covers, whether it's the clean label project, um, you know, and, and measuring the number of toxins in the food or, uh, you know, whether it's leached from the soil or if it's used in um, manufacturing, you know, there are, it's extraordinary. So yeah, does that get confusing? Yes. And is it, does it end up putting a huge burden on the consumer to, to have to, I used the word sleuthing earlier, and that's the only word I can describe kind of what investigative reporting requirement is incumbent on the everyday shopper. I mean, I'm a dietitian. This is my profession. And I get confused at the grocery store. Like you, you should not have to have a nutrition degree to go grocery shopping. Um, and so yeah, it's confusing, but I think what you're really asking about is like, what's the fairness of that? And is that okay? And how do we feel about it being confusing? Um, and I feel very strongly that that the baseline should be um, safety and that it should be safe until proven. Um, it, it shouldn't be incumbent upon the, con on the consumer to have to distinguish whether these choices are safe or good for us, right? It should just, shouldn't, wouldn't it be great if the baseline were good and that, um, and that we could trust that and that we could not have this extraordinary cognitive burden every time we go grocery shopping? Yeah, absolutely. And do you have any recommendations on how the brand can help with that burden on the consumer. So is it through messaging? Is it through, what can they do? The brands need to tell, uh, well, let's start at what the brands need to do behind the scenes before they talk to the consumer. They need to know their supply chain. They need to know their manufacturers and they need to know their producers. That's a lot of work. And right now there are very few barriers to entry in the food business. And you can really just build a food brand and launch it with pretty low, um, low, low burdens. Um, that being said, it, you know, your consumer will end up finding out what you're about and what your product is. And it, it, they, you may cross that first point of needing at point of purchase and with your packaging. But if you're, if you're looking for repeat customers, you know, the educated household shopper, primarily moms, uh, they're going to get under the hood and 
I always tell brands like you will be found out. So, so you first and foremost, like the best way to bring authenticity and transparency to your consumer is actually to know your product better than, than anybody. So you need to know where, where are your ingredients coming from? What do they go through to get to your manufacturing site? What manufacturing practices are, um, are happening on site? Um, what implications does your, your packaging have on your product? Um, that formulation, you know, people are always so quick to brag about the grams of protein or like the amount of, of calcium or you like a very nutrient focused, but the formulation itself, is it legit, you know, or are you just reassembling synthetic nutrient inputs and putting together the new version of a cracker that's supposed to be better for you? And, and so they really need to believe in that formulation and have be working with a nutrition professional who can help uh, really interpret the product um, in, in a way that has meaningful health benefits for the end user. So my first piece of advice is, is you need to know your product better than anybody else. And then the second is, okay, now how do you communicate this? Well, you need to tell the truth, period. Anything that is an implication or that is trying to create a health aura around a product, and you can do that by just the, the colors of the packaging that you choose, right? Um, or or I, I work with so many entrepreneurs who are so quick to want to make all of these outrageous claims about what their product can do. And I, I know that there is a market opportunity for that. Like I, I we are aware that people buy based on whether they think a product is healthier than a side-by-side -side co competitor. But in the long-term, that will not win because when you claim to have all of these benefits um, that the consumer doesn't end up experiencing, they're going to drop you. Um, and your, your product will be um, will win or lose on based on the function of whether it quote-unquote worked um, instead of whether it tasted great and made someone feel really good. So I, I always ask entrepreneurs to kind of go through an exercise of all the things you want to say about your product, which ones are unquestionably true, um, which ones do you know are illegal, you've already gone through the FDA checklist and like are sure that you can't, you'd like to, but you can't put on, on your packaging. And then which ones are maybes. And basically if something's a maybe, it's not true. <laughs> There's, you need to stay really tight and buttoned up and clean about this. Um, and, and instead of trying to put everything in front of your consumer on the outset and over communicate and oversell, um, think of your product like an onion. And you know, you've got the first layer that people see and you need to prioritize what goes on that first interaction, but invite your target customer to peel back the onion and get to know you better. And then ask yourself as they get to know you, your, your founding team, your brand values, your vision, um, your product, your formulation, the ingredients, the nutrient panel, um, the nutrition panel, uh, are they more delighted when they learn more? Are they happier with what they see? Are they more excited that they selected you as a pancake mix versus any other pancake mix on shelf? And the fact is, um, if you take that approach, you will engender longer term loyalty. Um, that's what all the data shows. When people feel like they 
you know, look on back of package and they see, oh, this, the front of package said this has 20 grams of protein, but that's actually from some, some like soy isolate that I don't understand that got put in here that I don't even know what the, you know, when, when they see unfamiliar ingredients, like what, like, why did you do this to me? <laughs> you know, they get upset. None of us want the wool pulled over our eyes. Um, and so, or, or if they see like a, you know, a highly functional beverage that is promising energy all day long because it's plant-based. And then they look on the back of pack and they say, oh, there's just caffeine added to this. You know, there's dissonance there. And so I'm always trying to encourage entrepreneurs, you know, you've got to think about your product like you think about people. Um, Good people with strong values have great long-term relationships with their friends. They're consistent. They do what they say they're going to do. They deliver on promises. They're there for you when you need them. Um, and so really like great products are like great people. And I, I mean, as, as marketers, our, our whole job is to improve someone's life. Um, but you can get in a lot of trouble with just making those direct claims. So there's a lot of different ways to, to do that. But I wanted to ask you, um, as a consumer, what are some red flags uh, in terms of claims that are on packaging or elsewhere that a consumer should be worried yeah. about? There's a totally new generation of front of package attributes that are coming out that that many of which are, are you know, we've never even seen before. Um, and so it really, you know, and unfortunately, as they can come in on the consumer to try to figure out what they mean, my first response to that is like, well, front of package isn't the only place to look for information on the on the real story. Like you need to look at the side panel or the back panel. Sometimes you have to even go online. I do all the time to try to figure out, you know, what the actual product is. I think the ingredient list is the most telling piece of information about a product. Um, and that's always going to be on the nutrition panel right underneath the nutrition facts. So um, reading that ingredient list and really trying to identify, like, do you, do you know, the, are these ingredients familiar? Um, do you know what these words mean? Are you comfortable with this? And if not, like, don't hesitate to just put it back on the shelf, you know? Um, we market products based on the nutrients that they have. Um, but we, your body is actually receiving foods in the food matrix. So we can extract protein from soy, or we can feed people's whole soy where that protein is accompanied by fiber and antioxidants and all these other benefits that exist in the matrix of the actual food. So when you when you deconstruct these food items and just extract one component, it doesn't behave the same way in the body as it otherwise would, accompanied by the rest of the, the, the substance that the, that the food contains um, in nature. So the further we get, from the way that whole foods exist on the planet, the more likely it is that these nutrients in isolation, these nutrients are being formulated in isolation and that front of package is, is marketing something that um, that's it, just nutrient focused and not food focused. So my first advice, like look at, look at the ingredients label, like basically when I go grocery shopping, um, I ignore so much of what's on the front of package and look at the nutrient label. So things that I- Pretty, but just turn it over. (laughs) 
turn it over. Yeah. And, and then what you'll find is that that is so exhausting that I've tried to spend as little time as possible in aisles where I have to be looking at nutrient labels. And I'll tell you the areas that do not require nutrient labels in the grocery store are probably the best areas to be spending time in. Mm-hmm. So, um, so labels, I would say front of package attributes I'm excited about. I, I do think that the USDA certified organic program is extraordinary. It's stellar. It's strong. I, spent time at the Department of Agriculture, and I know there's plenty to critique, but it is truly one of the most well-run programs um, that we have in the country to certify organic agriculture practices. And so I'm always looking for that label. Um, You know, you mentioned natural, there's no technical definition um, for that. So it's just like another um, nice word, like plant-based to put on the front of a package. But I'm always looking for, you know, for among packaged foods, um, you know, foods that are made with fruits and veggies, you can um, put that on the front of your package. And so I'm always excited to see that there's different vegetables and different fruit components being used um, in a packaged food. Um, you know, anything there's a, you know, Whole Foods, I think does a really great job of manufacturing its own 365 brand, for example, with whole food based, um, ingredients. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking at like snack bars, for example, like I get more excited about labels that say made with whole almonds than I do about, you know, almond extract, um, on that ingredient list. And, and that shows up front of package. There are technical definitions for the source of claims. So the, the nutritional claims, you know, made with or good source of vitamin A, great source of vitamin A, excellent source of vitamin A. Um, and so I, th- those definitely um, call my attention. And then I'll look at back of pack to find out, okay, is this vitamin A because there's butternut squash in this? Or is it vitamin A because like it's been fortified? Always kind of thinking through kind of, the the bang for my buck on on ingredients versus nutrients um but i would say those are some of the call outs that that i'm excited about on the manufacturing side there's all kinds of cool stuff coming up obviously like in the coffee space like fair trade has been around for a really long time but now there are like labels that are even showing up that are more um i think fair and exciting and and demonstrative of what good supply chain practices look like um, I mentioned the Clean Label Project. I love what they're doing to really bring transparency to the leaching of heavy metals and other toxins that are showing up in food, especially categories like baby foods. GMOs are really interesting because the GMO verified project is, um, well, GMOs are covered underneath the USDA organic certification. Um, so I know that there's a lot of confusion um, about that. But so for me, I kind of always go back on the, on the GMO issue, just if you're buying, you know, what you can, if you can buy organic um, and, if, and, if, and if companies can use organic ingredients, then you can even speak, you know, to a degree about your product being able to be made with you know, organic ingredients or made with organic XYZ input. So yeah, I think in the spirit of like looking for the most nutrient dense and and the most wholesomely grown products on the market as most, you know, many of us are and as I'm sure many of your listeners are trying to create, um the the you, you want to put the most legit claims on the on the front of package. And then be aware that people are going to flip that package over and when they try to interpret what's on the front, you want to have legit information on the back. It, it builds a whole narrative, you know, your packaging and then how your packaging then relates back to your own media online and how they discover your brand within social. Um, and you just want consistency through that whole thing. Like I said, an onion, 
you know, if I see USDA, if I see made with organic fruits and veggies on the front, I'm going to flip to the back and say, okay, well, what, what vegetables are in here? Which ones are organic? Kind of like double click on that and, and explore it. And, and if I'm happier with the more I find out, the more loyal of a customer I'm going to, I'm going to be. So for those brands who are coming out with some of these new labels, um, like, or new attributes and claims, um, I just look for opportunities um, to tell the story about what those attributes mean. I, I was looking at a company the other day that was claiming it was wild harvested, and I'd never heard that before. And so um, we got under the hood. What does that label mean? Why are you using that term? Describe it to me. How can we describe that to the customer better? Um, and I think it's very, very cool. It's it, They want it to mean that the, that the main ingredient that they use is grown without um, really being touched by any sort of industrialized agriculture process. It's just wildly grown and it's wildly harvested um, and kind of in a natural state as in actually in honor of indigenous practices um, hundreds of years since. So very cool story. And you would wanna unpack that attribute for the consumer to really help them appreciate the thoughtfulness that you're bringing and trying to describe um, the brand to to the customer. I was just gonna say I like that um, whoever you're speaking of um, didn't follow just like the hot claims list and kind of went with storytelling and um, was really like you're saying true to their brand. Totally, and it's one thing to put things on your packaging, and it's another thing to tell that story, just like y'all said, um, through your marketing, through everything on your website, through everything you're pushing out on social. But we talked about um, basically what consumer goods brands should portray on their packaging. But we're curious, are there some new consumer behavior changes that you're noticing um, that people are looking for? I mean, we, we talked more about um, basically that the con- average consumer is just more curious and educated. So what are those um, and how can CPG brands just get ahead of these changes? Yes, the average consumer um, today is much more educated about nutrition than they were you know, five, 10 years ago. Uh, I think the trends that I'm seeing are the need for, with that, with that increase of understanding of what nutritious foods are, is also coming a frustration with how difficult it is to eat that way, and therefore a real lean into convenience. So I think frozen foods have really just exploded over the past year or two. Um, what a great way to get you know, freshly picked, nutrient-dense fruits and vegetables. Um, that have a long shelf life because they're frozen and can be um, packed with, with, with great benefits that you would get from fresh food that you would otherwise kind of be worried about wasting in the fridge. Um, so there's lots of innovation happening in frozen that I get excited about. Uh, and I think people have moved down that aisle more frequently over the last couple of years, especially with the pandemic. Another trend, um, you know, in, in the convenience space is what I'm going to call like, like whole food packaging. Um, so everything from like snackable miniature English cucumbers to like CC's Veggie Co, which is the portfolio company of ours, um, you know, rolling out prepped vegetables, um, the smoothie blends, obviously, you know, easy to make or easy to throw in your blender. 
Um, we all watched that happen with Daily Harvest, but it's a format that really works. And I'm seeing it across categories, you know, baby foods to, to adult snacks and breakfast. Um, uh, so I, I think these sort of semi-prepared grocery ready items that, you know, with just a few steps people can have ready to go um, it, it is an exciting trend. And the other consumer trend that, that I'm following is really this extraordinary aware of plastics and how, um, you know, it used to be the case that we all said we really cared about the environment, but it wasn't a lead in our purchasing behavior. But now, you know, if you stack up two very similar products next to each other and one um, is has more sustainable packaging than the other, people are choosing the more sustainable packaging. You know, it's a great way to differentiate. And it's also, you know, as we're all thinking through and corporations are thinking through, you know, what their um, footprints look like, you know, how to reduce um, you know, these non-renewable materials in the supply chain is, is showing up in consumer interest. So I get so excited about that. The technology isn't there yet, you know, to really, for especially for early stage brands to be able to afford um, to, to bring about that level of transformation, but it, it really feels like we're moving in, in that in that direction where, um, you know, one day it might be, it would be pretty standard, you know, to have renewable, recyclable uh, materials and, and eliminate um, plastics from, from the supply chain. Yeah, and it's really something that small brands can truly aspire to. Um, one of our clients, uh, Strandy Kids Baby Food, if you're familiar, they partner with TerraCycle to recycle their pouches, but it's so very expensive. So, you know, getting there eventually, I think is really admirable, but um, understanding that, you know, shipping glass is really heavy and it breaks and things like that. So knowing that you can eventually get there is something that you can um, aspire to. Yeah, definitely. And like, I think all those steps that you make along the way as you move from you know, from small marginal changes at every packaging refresh, it's an opportunity to tell your customers that you're, you're progressing, you know, towards that, that aspirational goal. Can you share some of your favorite consumer goods brands right now? Any brands that you can see are really innovating or making a difference? Um, a brand that other founders can look up to and get inspired by? Well, I love all the brands in our portfolio, obviously. Um, one of the, the brands that I am just so excited about is Caraway. They do just an extraordinary uh, a job on product and experience um, in building out cleaner cookware. Uh, this is just an area, again, where that same feeling of toxicity in our food um, translates to the toxicity in the equipment that we use to cook. And so using um, cleaner cookware and providing a solution, you know, for everyday people that still um, stick free is just, it, it, it's beautiful and it's inspiring. And they've thought through everything from not just product, but all the way to how it arrives in your kitchen by providing sleeves for the lids to the pots and pans, because all of us know how messy our drawers get. Um, and then even organizers for, you know, inside of your 
um, inside of your drawers or, or your pantry for you to keep your pots um, pristine and unscratched. So I think the thoughtfulness that I've seen in, in that brand and how they're conveying their values to their customer with little touches like that has, has been really cool. I'm also really excited about our company, uh, one of our portfolio companies, um, Atlas Coffee Club. They are a subscription coffee company and they, I mentioned Fairtrade earlier, they're going above and beyond Fairtrade standards and communicating these storylines to the customer of how coffee is, is actually grown all over the world and that there is um, more to explore. And I think that that um, adventuresome, um, it, it, you know, invitation to get to know and explore coffee um, is, is a relationship they've been able to build with their consumer that's really, um, really exciting to me. I think it's so differentiated. Um, we, and then I, the, the other brand I'd mentioned is In Good Taste, um, another portfolio company. They are, um, they, they did kind of the, uh, the genesis, you know, born out of the pandemic to start a company that sends tasting size bottles of wine to your house for you to experience a wine tasting at home. So clever. And also really changing the way we think about exploring wine, you know, going from, um, having to, to take ourselves to Napa or Italy is not, you know, it, it's certainly not feasible for me right now. Um, and uh, I think bringing that experience into your home is just another way that a brand has really thought through the consumer and uh, their experience and how um, they can activate that, that experience um, in-house. So I really get excited about brands that obviously know their end user really well and are putting themselves in the shoes of the end user and trying to not just you know solve their pain points and then go above and beyond to also surprise and delight them. Those are three very cool brands. Thank you so much for sharing. I felt like you were speaking directly to me about having unorganized drawers. So I'm going to go check out Caraway for sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> and also, yeah, I mean, the wine too. Wow, that's, that's cool. Um, but Marissa, thank you so much. I, I feel like this, we just learned so much. Um, sorry for going on a tangent in the beginning, but it's just, it's so interesting. And um, I think what you're doing is, is really cool. Um, but that being said is how can someone reach you? Is there any way for someone to send you an email or, or chat with you? Totally. Yeah. I'm just Marissa at springdaleventures.com. Um, feel free to send me a note and I'd be, I'd be delighted to meet any entrepreneurs in your audience and, and hear more about what they're building. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Marissa. Thanks guys. Ooh, My Social Circle is a CPG agency-driven podcast based out of Austin, Texas. We're excited to share more behind-the-scene insights, chats with industry leaders, and whatever else we learn along the way. Follow us on Instagram at umaimarketing or check out our website, umaimarketing.com. Catch you back here soon.